Hey everyone, Don here. Welcome to Friday Night Stripes. Today we've got something new that I wanted to try. Um, I'm calling it the Friday Night Stripes Rule Blitz. So what I did was um, every day over the past week, I put out one play situation a day and asked people to call in or send me a, a Twitter DM or send me an email or do something to send me what their answer, their ruling, their interpretation, um, their explanation of the play situation was um, and to go ahead and call that in so that I could have their audio to share with you. So what I've got here today is five different play situations with a couple different answers um, from various people throughout the country. Um, and, and I hope to do this, um, every couple months, um, we had some decent participation. I'd love to get more next time. Um, I want to make a special call out to Kevin. Kevin answered all five of them called in for all five. Um, so you're going to hear Kevin a couple times on here. So, um, with that, let's jump right into the first one for the first one. K one sets the ball on the tee for the opening kickoff. He then walks back and waits for the whistle at the 35 and a half. No player is touching the 35-yard line. Nobody's behind the 35-yard line. And there are five players on each side of K1. As K1 is approaching the ball to kick, K88 steps right in front of him and kicks the ball. R58 fair catches the ball at the R25. To get our first answer, let's go to LD, who we've had on the podcast before from Oklahoma. Hey, Don. It's LD Darter with the Refs Corner in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Um, I was calling in uh, reference to uh, question number one, um, the kicking question. Since K-1 wasn't touching or behind the 35-yard line, and there were five players on either side of the kicker, um, K88 in this instance is able to kick the ball. Uh, it is legal kick because you still have at least four players on either side of the kicker. Um, so this is a legal kick if a, if R58 catches this ball that he has signaled for a catch for, the ball becomes dead at that point at the 25 yard line and it's first and 10 for R there. Uh, the key parts on this is, uh, no player touching or behind the 35-yard line, and uh, also at least four players on either side of the ball uh, while it's being kicked. That is the key parts of this question. And those are references uh, 613B and uh, reference 614 as well. So thanks for the question, Don. So LD had the answer perfect. Um, those were the exact things we were looking for. Um, no player behind the 35 or on it and f four players at the time of the kick on either side of the person kicking the ball, who is the kicker, um, whether he was lined up to be the kicker or not. It's a different story. The kicker is the one who kicks the ball. Um, and, and I only make those points and this was actually one of the easy ones. And I, I did it to make a couple points and that was one just to be aware that strange things happen on kick plays and we, we need to be aware of all our rules when, when it comes to kick plays. Um, and so that we knew what we were looking for as to whether this was a legal kick. I did have some people give some answers in that were not correct, that they thought that 
K1 had to be the one that kicked the ball. Nothing happened to make K1 be the one that had to kick the ball. They had more than four on either side of the person who kicked the ball, therefore the kicker, and no player was lined up on or behind the 35. Because if somebody's lined up on or behind the 35, they must be the kicker. Um, And so that actually triggered something in my brain. Let's say we've got this situation the way I described it, yet K88 is on or behind the 35. As the back judge who normally sets up the kickers, what are you going to do in that instance? K1's the one who looks like he's the kicker. K88 is behind the 35-yard line. I know in my mind, I'd be like, okay, K88, you've got to come in front of the 35. You've got to be up here. I, I, I don't know that in my head I'd be like, there's, there's only one. I might walk up to them and say, hey, whoever's standing behind the 35 has to be the one to kick the ball. If that's what you're doing, great. Um, you don't have to tell me. I just want to make sure you're all aware. And then walk away and let them go. Because there's nothing illegal about it until the ball's kicked. Um, so let's say they lined up that way with K88 behind the 35 and K8, K1 in front of it and then K1 kicks the ball, we're going to kill that because that's not a legal kick. Um, so it's just something to think of. And and I brought it up because I had a situation in a game where I was caught off guard. Um, and again, these, these kicking situations cause, they happen all the time, and yet they happen in different ways that they catch us off guard each different way they do it. Um, in the situation I'm referencing, the... Kicking team was kind of in a, a five by five by one huddle, if you know what I'm talking about, where the 10 of them line up facing the ball and the kickers facing the, the 10 of them, like they're planning their kick play. They were lined up um, and they were just standing there kind of conversing, looking like they were calling the play. We as officials were ready. So we all raised our arms. The referee saw we were ready. He blew it ready. The instant he blew it ready, they, they all advanced, all 11 advanced from that formation I was just describing, and the kicker kicked the ball. It caught me off guard because they didn't break off into their normal positions. They were right there, and they were ready to go the minute he blew that whistle. So I was waiting for the whistle. I saw they hadn't broken the huddle. I think I was the, the um, line judge on this one, so I was back at the fifty. Um, they advanced on the ball and they onside kicked it from that huddle. I was like, okay, whoa, what just happened? And, and fortunately nothing strange happened. It didn't catch me too off guard. The receiving team was able to pounce on it, um, on, on the 48, on the kickers 48. So there was nothing that crossed the line. No, nobody touched, nobody from K touched it. I didn't have anything weird happen except for the fact that they quick kicked it like that. So it's just a reminder to be ready um, and, and to make, be real solid on your all your rules. What ended up ha- coming from the coaches on that one was, did they have four on either side of the kicker for that? And I turned to him and I said, Coach, I don't know for sure that's not what I'm looking at. I'll discuss it with the referee um, afterwards. But we've got no flag on the play, so we're going to go forward. Um in that instance, I don't think that I, as the line judge, would have had a count of four on either side of it because I'm not looking straight on at it. I'm kind of at an angle. Um, 
so that's generally the idea is that the we got to be ready the minute that whistle blows because something strange is likely to happen. Okay, on to question two. First and 10 at the A20. A88 runs down the sideline, steps out of bounds untouched, returns to the field, and continues his route. The ball is passed to A88. Before it arrives, B25 pushes A88 while defending the pass. The ball bounces off B25 at the A40, and A88 catches the ball at the A45. A88 then runs in for a touchdown. For this one, we're going to hear from Kevin on the uh, answer for this. Yes, my name is Kevin. I'm calling in in regards to the February 25th question. I believe that this is a double foul, and we would enforce this as a pass interference and an illegal participation slash illegal touching, and we would enforce that under 10-2-1. Thanks, Kevin. So, again... Exactly right. It's a double foul. Um, the only quibble I'm going to make is he said illegal participation slash illegal touching. It's not illegal touching. It is illegal participation, and that's very important. So let's let's break this down. Um, A88 went out of bounds on his own, returned to the field of play, and participated. Therefore, it's illegal participation. No question. Nothing else that happens discards the fact that we have a legal participation on A88. Now, A88, we're going to assume I did not put it in the question, but A88 was an eligible receiver. In the high school rules, they do not lose, quote, their eligibility by going out of bounds. They are still an eligible receiver, and that's why it's not a legal touching. If they're an eligible receiver and the ball is passed to them, they cannot be interfered with, which is what happened. B25 interfered with him, even though it was going to be a legal participation on A88, B25 still interfered with him. So we've got a double foul. We're going to cancel the fouls and replay the down. For the third question. Second and five at the A35. A22 is running toward the sideline. He fumbles the ball at the A34. The ball bounces inbounds, strikes the head linesman standing out of bounds, and lands inbounds at the A33. B41 recovers the ball at the A33. So for the answer to this, we're going to get here from two different people. We're going to hear from two mics. So here we go. Hey, Don, this is Mike with uh, Refs Corner from Ardmore, Oklahoma. I was calling in reference to uh, question three. This is in regards to a ball striking a head linesman standing out of bounds. What my ruling on that would be second and six at the A33 yard line would be the outcome of the play due to the fact it is a loose ball and it strikes the official out of bounds, this is rule reference 229.3, which states a loose ball is out of bounds when it touches anything, including a player or game official that is out of bounds. Right. 
Great talking to you. Thanks again. Hey, Don, this is Mike with Ref's Corner in Ardmore, Oklahoma. I wanted to make an amend to my previous answer. That should actually be third and six at the 34-yard line since it struck the headlinesman at the 34-yard line. Thanks. Hi, this is uh, Jan Michael, Mike Johnson. I'm calling in. Uh, I'd like to answer the third play. So the ruling should be that once the the loose ball, the fumbled ball, touched the official, the headlinesman who was out of bounds, that uh, made the ball a dead ball. So anything that happened after that in terms of coming back inbounds and being recovered by B um, is, is nullified. Uh, so it would be wherever it – the plane of the yardage line that it went out of bounds, uh, where it hit the headlinesman, is where A is going to – keep the ball, and it would be third down, and whatever the yardage is left based on the yard line. The rule to support that answer is Rule 4-3, Article 1, and it reads, when a loose ball goes out of bounds, the out-of-bounds spot is fixed by the yard line where the foremost point of the ball crossed the sideline. When the ball becomes dead in the field of play because of touching a person who is out of bounds, that's, and again, that's the key phrase, the out-of-bounds spot is fixed by the yard line through the foremost point of the ball. Thanks, Mike and Mike. Uh, Both were correct. Uh, There wasn't anything really tricky about this one. Um, I just threw a lot in there just to try and um, confuse things. So, um it's really quite a simple ruling. The ball's dead when it strikes the official. That's by the rule. Um, and there's, there's really nothing all that complicated to this one. On to question four. First and goal at the B5. A33 runs towards the pylon. He is met by B93 at the B1 and is spun backwards. A33's heel strikes the pylon in the air, but lands inbounds and he backs into the end zone. The ball was at the B half-yard line when his heel struck the pylon, but he continued in where the ball crosses the goal line afterwards. For this, we're going to go back to Kevin for an answer. Yes, my name is Kevin. I'm calling in response to the question where the runner touches the pylon. So it touches the pylon at the half-yard line. He's out at the half-yard line. The rule for that is 1-2-4, where the pylon is out of bounds at the intersection of the sideline and the goal line, then you would reference rule two, where a player is out of bounds, when any part of that person has touched anything out of bounds, including a referee or whatever. And that's 229, article one. All right, thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Correct. It, it, the, the pylon is considered out of bounds. I'm also going to read um, a response I got from Greg Reeder, who uh, has been on the podcast before as well. He sent his, his in, in um, email form, and I'm going to read it because it includes one additional piece of information I want to talk about. He says, near the goal line, A33's heel strikes the pylon as he is spun backwards by B93. The pylon is considered out of bounds, being at the intersection of the sideline and the goal line. The ball was at the B half-yard line during the heel pylon strike, which would make it second and goal from the half-yard line for A. 
clock starts on the ready for play because A33 did not go out of bounds on his own. And I think what he's trying to say there is that A33 went out of bounds backwards. Um, and, and therefore his forward progress was stopped before he went out of before he struck the, the pylon. Um, that, that's certainly an interpretation. Um, I'm going to say that in, in that when, when we have these text plays, everybody f puts into their brain their own visualization of how it happens. That's not necessarily the way I saw it happening, but certainly if, if that's what he saw happening, um, then, then certainly that, that could be. Otherwise, the clock would be uh, starting uh, on the snap because it's out of bounds. The, the key point here being that the pylon by itself, when striking a player, is out of bounds. We, talk, we know that if a, if a runner stretches the ball over the goal line, strikes the pylon, it's a touchdown because it's that intersection of the goal line and the sideline. And it's considered part of the goal line when we're talking about the ball crossing it. We are not talking about that. We're talking about uh, the player's body touching it. So that's the distinction I wanted to make. And the reason I, I drew this play up was to make that distinction between touching the pylon, whether it's the person or the ball. So we'll move on to question five, the final question for uh, the rule blitz. Fourth and 20 at the A9. A8 runs the ball to the A30. While the run is occurring, the line judge has to take his focus off the play, stop and specifically avoid the head coach who is standing just off the field of play on the two-yard belt. Well after A8 is tackled at the A30, B55 punishes, I'm sorry, B55 pushes A33 at the A35. And we'll go to Randy for this one. Hey, yeah, this is uh, Randy from Kansas. Um, my take on this is that even though the line judge had to take his focus off the play in order to avoid the coach, there's nothing in the rule book that allows us to penalize the non-contact sideline interference without a warning first. The push by B55 is likely going to be a personal foul, depending on the severity of the push. So if you have a personal foul, that will be tacked onto the run. It'll be like first and 10 for A at the B15. The sideline interference warning won't change the enforcement. That's my take. Thanks, Randy. So there's all sorts of nuance on this one, and um, it, it, it requires actually seeing it. So um, this is a tougher one, but I, I put some verbiage in there that I really wanted to, to emphasize. Um, the first being what Randy addressed, which was we had non-contact sideline interference by the head coach. So if we haven't put down a warning on the two-yard belt, and this was the first occurrence of it, then there's really nothing in the rule book to help us support giving him a sideline interference five or 15-yard penalty. Um, there's just nothing there. It is a warning the first time. It's spelled out quite clearly in the book. Um, 
I know there are, there are certainly some officials who talk about trucking the head coach. That's that's not what we do. Um, if, if we've got to stop and avoid, we will. Um, and I also specifically mentioned that the head coach was just off the playing field. If he had been on the playing field, we could have something else. It'd be hard to argue for an illegal participation because the coach isn't really participating in the play. Um, but that I did ver- word it specifically to put him in that two-yard belt because I wanted to talk about the fact that we've got to give that warning first. And this is why I feel it's important that if you feel you're going to have any kind of problem with that sideline, go ahead and get that warning out early. Um, that way, if there's another instance later, you can penalize it and, and they will have earned it. Now, maybe this was a one-time occurrence. Maybe the coach was excited about the play and he just got out there and, and we avoid him. In that case, yes, even though the line judge had to had to specifically avoid him, I'm not sure we'd want to penalize it. Um, I'm also going to just mention the fact that if it, we had already had a warning down, this would have been a 5 or 15-yarder, depending on how many sideline interferences we had. But this would be a live ball foul treated as a dead ball foul. So we wouldn't bring the play back at all. Um, it would be treated as a dead ball foul and dealt with after the play. Um, the other part of the play was that we had B pushing A. I didn't quite give enough verbal description in the play to determine if it, if the push was flagrant enough to go ahead and give us a, a personal foul for it. Um, I included it intending it to be a personal foul. Um, if I'd said pushes him to the ground, I think we could all agree that's probably a personal foul. Um, some of the play, some of the responses I got back said, "Well, maybe the, the it's just, it's just a little pushing. It's it's not a foul." So again, we make up our own visualizations when we read these text plays. As long as you're thinking it through and you're thinking what you would call, that's okay too. So. That's it. Um, I greatly appreciate everybody coming on. LD, Kevin, Mike, Mike, Greg, and Randy. I really appreciate the you guys spend the time to go ahead and, and give us your answers. Thank you to everyone who called in, even if, if the answer you gave was wrong. I didn't want to put those wrong answers on here. Some were wrong because they were trying to answer using college rules because they didn't realize this was a, a high school podcast. Um, so thank you to everybody who participated, um, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Friday Night Stripes. Show notes and links to all of the episodes can be found on our website at FridayNightStripes.com. Reviews on Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes are always appreciated as they will help us reach more officials. We are always looking to talk to officials everywhere, so if you want to be a guest, please email hello at FridayNightStripes.com. If you have comments, ideas, or want to correct a mistake we made, you can email us at hello at FridayNightStripes.com. You can also continue the conversation by joining the Facebook group, Friday Night Stripes, or following us on Twitter at Friday Night Stripes. Show music is Fight 'em Down by Flash Fluority, licensed by PremiumBeat.com. We'll see you on the next episode.